Crossing family, I am so glad that you guys are at church today. Is everybody doing all right? Okay. Good to hear. Man, I want to thank you all for the incredible support, encouragement after the message last weekend on suicide. Some of the stories that I heard coming from our campus pastors have been incredibly moving and powerful. Ron, who works as the campus pastor at our Lima location and also works at our multi-site offices from time to time drives lifts. He gave 40 rides over the past weekend, and four of those rides, um, without being prompted, ended up, uh, the families talked about how they were navigating issues related to suicide, and he was able to help and minister to them. I heard stories of how our difference makers responded to those in crisis. Others of you hugged and comforted those in our midst who had lost someone to suicide. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of this church in the way that you guys loved and led so well last week. This past week, so many of you were the very hands and feet of Jesus to broken people. And that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? I know. I love it. I want to welcome all of you joining from all of our different locations, online and inside. And to those of you who are brand new to The Crossing, we are so thankful that you are here. Perhaps you just moved into one of our communities or you're in town visiting family or maybe you were brought here by a friend or maybe you heard about this sermon series and you came to check us out. We believe that it is no accident that you are here. And our prayer is that today when you leave, you will either have begun an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ or you will go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And if at any point during this sermon series, uh, you want to connect, uh, you can use the QR code on the seat in front of you at all of our different locations. And if you were to hop on that uh, link, it'll give you all kinds of opportunities for you to connect. You can uh, get prayer, you can get baptized. If you have questions about uh, how to access more of our resources, you can do that as well. And for those of you who come to The Crossing every single week, I want to encourage you, every week when you show up, click on that QR code because the information is always changing, and we want to give you a chance to partner with us as we try to make this the hardest place on planet Earth to get to hell from. One thing you will notice about on the QR code this week is that registration is open for RISE, the Crossings Annual Women's Conference, and I believe that every single woman who attends this year is going to be blessed, encouraged, and they're going to lead closer to God and closer to God's people. Men, I want you to make it a priority as you try to lead and love your wife well, that you make it a priority, that you make space in her world so that way she can come and be a part of this. We want to uh, love them well, lead them well, and this will be a great way for you to do it. If you are brand new to our church, we are in a sermon series called Weeds in My Garden. And it is a sermon series about being honest about mental health. And today, we are gonna be talking about worry and anxiety. Several months back, we did an internal survey here at the church. We had almost 2,000 people respond. And inside of that survey, this is what we found out. 82% of the people who call the crossing home wrestle with worry and anxiety. Ladies, you came in at 86%. You know what was alarming to me for men? It was 68%. I say that because guys, Ladies, I want you to know you are not alone. No matter where you're watching from right now, chances are 
there are five people within reach of you. If you extend your hand, only one of the people that you would touch isn't wrestling with this. It is in your marriage. It is in your home. More than likely, it was in the car with you when you came to church today. We tend to use worry and anxiety interchangeably. And that's not a big uh, problem because the Bible almost does the exact same thing. That it just kind of talks about worry and anxiety as synonyms. And just to kind of give a little bit more clarity around worry and anxiety, I'm talking about people who feel a sense of nervousness and unease. Uh, It's the suspension between hope and fear. You don't know whether to be excited or afraid. You really don't feel like you have a good foundation to process your emotions or to move forward in life. But some of you, you're listening to these messages or you're watching them and you're from more of a clinical background. And when you get into the clinical field or the medical field, uh, there's a greater distinction between worry and anxiety that emerges. For instance, uh, from a medical perspective, worry prods you to use natural problem-solving skills. It can be a natural mechanism to keep you from danger. This is where uh, flight fight or freeze emerges. It's the heightened awareness that you have when you're walking to a car on a dark night. That feeling, while uncomfortable, can be very healthy to keep you safe and perhaps change some of your behavior in the future, like where you park and when you leave. But anxiety is much deeper than that. It's a persistent period of worry that may have deeper roots in your biology, your situational challenges, or past trauma. Mike Maher, who's been uh, helping with some of the resources during this sermon series, you may have seen the content that we've been uploading on our website or on social media that gives every single person a little bit of hope and a little bit of help. He uh, talks about anxiety and worry on a spectrum. So imagine all the way on this end of the spectrum, you have uh, a form of worry and anxiety that's extremely manageable. It has almost no disruption to your daily living. And then on the other end of the spectrum is an anxiety and a worry that are the exact opposite. It consumes your life. It consumes your thinking. It consumes your ability to function and it keeps you from functioning the way you want to function. Imagine wanting desperately to act and respond one way but being incapable of it because of your worry and your anxiety. The easiest way for me to describe this on a spectrum is for me to talk about snakes. Uh, For as big and attractive as I am, I hate to tell you, I hate snakes. And I mean, I am deathly afraid of snakes. And it is is not good. My fear of snakes goes so deep that sometimes I will be having a dream. I will wake up from that dream and I will see the ruffles in my bed. And I will think that a snake is in the bed. And I will get out of bed in a full poof. And I will rip all the sheets off the bed. My wife, sleeping, finds herself, what is going on? Okay? Uh, there, when I was in, in college and we were, you know, we were parking out in the woods at a campsite or whatever, I would open up my car from a distance just because there might have been a snake underneath my vehicle and then I'd do like the big step in. If you might be thinking, it'd be so funny to prank Clayton with a snake. 
I want you to know, I will send you to Jesus. Okay? I just, I don't want, and I don't care who you are, I will send you to Jesus. And you'd be like, did a pastor just like threaten to hurt me severely? 100%. And I will say something that's not appropriate for a pastor to say. And then the people will be talking like, was that, was that guy a pastor? And that would be the appropriate tense because I would no longer be a pastor anymore. <laughs> and if you ever want to get rid of me, now you know, okay? That's how you do it. I don't, I don't, I don't handle it well. Now, here, here's the deal. Um, this impacts my life zero because I don't spend a whole lot of time dealing with it. Now, some of you, you're hardwired differently when it comes to snakes. Like, you don't mind them at all. You kind of like them. You see them and you're like, let's pick it up. And it is unfortunate that God put you together that way. It really is. But, you know, you are who you are. So situationally, my issue with snakes is not a big deal. I don't ever interact with snakes. However, on this spectrum, what if tomorrow we decided to buy a zoo as a church? And like we, and I got snake duty. Now what was not a big deal is now situationally such a big deal, right? Now imagine, on this end of the spectrum, worried every single day about every room you enter being filled with snakes. And this is the continuum, this is the spectrum that every single one of us are navigating worry. We are somewhere along these lines. This move beyond spiritual, beyond situational, and you find yourself in something that is very biological and very clinical. And hear me, if you find yourself on this end of the continuum, there are great God-fearing uh, people, trauma-informed, medically educated specialists that can help you chart a path forward. For you, it might not be snakes. Uh, it might be speaking from a stage. It, uh, my brother-in-law is has it with frogs, which makes no sense to me. But isn't that the way it is sometimes with worry and anxiety? What's not a big deal to you is a very big deal to somebody else. And what's not a big deal to them is crushing to you. What happens when it gets deeper than that? What happens when you're dealing with the fear of being separated from your family, losing your marriage, uh, rooms with large groups of people, fear of failure, upcoming tests, performance reviews, losing your job, financial pressure, social rejection, and sinful behavior being exposed. Unchecked, worry and anxiety can leave us in a debilitated state. It can drive us into isolation, rob us of our passion, cause us to miss out on making precious memories and participating in moments of ministry. We have talked during this sermon series about these four big buckets. You have this spiritual bucket, you have a situational bucket, you have a biological bucket, and you have a clinical bucket. And today, uh, I wanna focus almost exclusively on the spiritual bucket. The reason why is because everything that you go through is spiritual. Everything that you go through is spiritual. It has spiritual implications and spiritual consequences. However, not everything that you go through is exclusively spiritual. And I wanna give you a framework 
to work through your worry and anxiety from a spiritual perspective. So that way, as you're trying to work through where you're at on the spectrum, I want you to be able to get the spiritual one dialed in and then go, okay, do I need to check something situationally, biologically, or medically? And we're going to talk through universal spiritual principles that I pray will give you a roadmap to help you navigate moments of worry and anxiety. However, I want to be incredibly clear. If you find yourself going through seasons of protracted anxiety and worry, I want you to prioritize getting professional help so you can chart a path forward. Jesus knew that we would wrestle with worry and anxiety. This did not surprise him. He knows that this is a part of the human condition. And so when he looks at us and uh, the fallen world, he knows that we are going to wrestle with this, these things. Ashley Woolridge says it this way, that worry and anxiety subside when we stand in between the two pillars of God's control and God's goodness. That when you and I place ourselves in between the pillars of God's uh, control and God's goodness, our worry and our anxiety will subside. But when we step outside of these, when we stop to doubt, when we start doubting the goodness of God and we step outside and all we do is cling to his control, it can create all kinds of worry and anxiety. When we stop believing in the control of God and we step over here where all we believe is that God is good, worry and anxiety can run rampant in our lives. Let me walk you through a chunk of scripture and see if you can't see where God's control and God's goodness emerge. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? First thing I want to ask you as we look at these pillars, would God give us a command that it is not possible for us to follow? This is a question about God's goodness. Would God ask you to do something knowing full well that you could not do it? Every single one of us at times, we're going to navigate these issues of worry and anxiety. And Jesus is saying to us, don't. Which implies that in his goodness and in his power, he has given you the ability to rise above those moments from a spiritual perspective. So God... If God's good, he wouldn't give us a command that he doesn't expect us to be able to walk out. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Think about these pillars again. What happens? When you look at a God and he's looking down, he's going, I see you, I value you, and I care about your needs. But what happens if you don't think he's good? All you think is that he's in control. That means that the bad things that are happening to you are coming from an evil God, a punishing God, an angry God. Oh, you believe that God's in control, but he is putting his thumb on you. He is causing you the pain. He is causing you to suffer. Do you still believe in God? Yeah. You just believe in a God that's in control. And what happens if you believe that a God has infinite power but is not infinitely good? You know what would happen to me? I would probably be a little worried. 
and a little anxious. Conversely, what happens if you believe that God is good, but he doesn't have any power? Oh, he cares and he loves, but he can't change anything. He can't solve it. He can't fix it. Jesus says, look at the birds. They're not worried. How many of you at all of our locations, you've ever seen a stressed out bird? <laughs> oh, man, i got to figure this out. <laughs> right? No, never, never happened. They don't even worry about where the food's coming from. They just don't. They know there's going to be some old lady who's going to put bird seed out on her porch. Like, they just keep moving. Yeah, yeah, they're putting up a new old folks home. There's going to be some good eating over there. Right? <laughs> That's just what they do. Here's what I love about birds. Have you ever seen them getting together and have like in their meetings? Guess where they sit? On power lines. Like this looks like free parking. Nobody's ever here. They sit on the very things that would, if we touched them. Like this looks like a good spot for us to talk about stuff. It's crazy. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 6 to verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? How's that been working for you? Yeah, I've noticed that the more I worry, the better I feel. How many of you, your life's gotten better since you found WebMD online? <laughs> we know what the answer is. The answer to WebMD is always cancer. You just scroll to the bottom. I feel like I ate too much Fruit Loops tonight and my stomach's upset. Oh. I've got cancer. Man, my tooth is really hurting. Oh, toothpaste causes cancer. Right? How? This is what we do. We, we go, God, you don't have control over this, so I'll take care of it. And I'll put all of this weight on me, and when we start putting all of this weight on us, what ends up happening to us, we get a little anxious. And we get a little worried. This week, Steve from our Kirksville campus sent me this quote. Worry doesn't stop death. It stops life. Worry doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 through 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, richest man who ever lived, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? You find yourself between these two pillars asking yourself this question, do I believe that God is good? That he values me more than the grasses. That he cares for me more than he cares for the birds. And that he has the power to meet my needs and care for me in times of trouble. Can I trust that in his goodness that he will supply what I need? Do I trust in his control that he can supply what I need? When I stand here, in between the pillars, 
of God's control and God's goodness, my anxiety, my worry will decrease. When I stop believing in one of these pillars and I find myself moving in the opposite direction, that is where my worry and my anxiety begin to rise. Remember when we were kids and we used to sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. I have a globe in my home office. If you were to think about how fast you and I are spinning right now, and for one moment, if you were to stop, globetrotting us through space. But isn't that what happened? Over time, we, we stop believing that God's good and that he's in control. Maybe you parents, you can relate with me for a second. My kids have almost no worries in life. I have never heard my kids stressed out about the mortgage. Not once. In fact, my kids, just the other day, we were driving to Sam's to pick up some food. There's some really nice houses on this little uh, weird road that goes by Sam's. And my kids, without a care in the world, say, Dad, we should get that house too. <laughs> yeah. Because we need a, you know, we need a north end of house and we need a south end house in Quincy. Because who doesn't want two homes in Quincy? You know, that way, depending on which IV my wife sends me to, I'm pretty close to home. Are you home? Yeah. Oh, wrong home. I'll be over. My kids, we'll be driving down, they'll see a car, and they'll just say, Dad, we should get that one. I'm like, oh, no, we've already got this one. They're like, no, we should get another one. Yeah, well, of course. In your fantasy factory, that's completely possible. My kids have never once worried about saving up for a vacation. My kids not once have come up to me and said, Mom, Dad, these rising grocery prices are getting out of hand. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I mean, we buy them all the candy or the food for the week, and then they just eat it that day. I'm halfway tempted to just start taking them grocery shopping and go, just eat. Just all the samples, boys, just keep going back. We're doing wardrobe changes in the parking lot. All right? During the pandemic, my kids never once worried about toilet paper. They just assumed that somebody was standing in line for their ration somewhere. Maybe it was because they weren't wiping as much as they should have. I don't know. But it didn't even cross their mind. But have you noticed that over time there's certain things that your kids do start worrying about? New school year, new teacher, new classroom, new friends, new activity, new sport. And you as a parent know they're going to be okay. And you tell them, you're going to be fine because you know what's going to happen. They're going to walk into that class, they're going to be there for all of five minutes, and they're going to make a new best friend. And the new best friend is like their very bestest friend they've ever had, and all their other friends are just friends. And you know that they're going to try the new sport, and they're going to be super worried about showing up for the first practice, and then they're going to come home telling you that they're going pro in that sport. You know all of this stuff. But you can't tell them that in advance, can you? Because they don't, they don't think you have control. And it breaks your heart as a parent. When they stop believing that you're the strongest person ever and that you're going to take care of every problem that arises, and you have to wonder, what does it do to the heart of God when Satan somehow gets you and I to stop believing 
that the one who sent his son to die on the cross isn't good. And the one who saved us from our sins doesn't have control. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people who don't believe in God, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who don't have an intimate personal relationship with him. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them. And he has an endless supply of what you need. He's good because he knows. And he's in control because he has an endless supply. Weird thing. Jesus is talking to a group of people living in food and clothing scarcity. And he's saying, don't worry about what you eat or what you will wear. And here we are living the American dream. Most of you had multiple choices of what you were gonna eat today. And some of you know that you're gonna overeat so much over the next couple of meals that you didn't eat breakfast today. And some of you ladies, you were late to church at many of our locations because you opened your closet and you had too many things to wear. And yet our worry and anxiety continue to skyrocket. Maybe the American dream is not nearly as fulfilling as it was supposed to be because we have placed our trust on a system and not a savior. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough, everybody say enough, enough trouble of its own. Two things to note here. One, seek first God's kingdom. He's saying, don't worry, seek God's kingdom. I wonder how many of us are carrying a worry or we are anxious about something that we have not yielded to God's will. Number one thing that people worry about are financial pressures. Is that area of your life already surrendered to Jesus? Are we expecting God's blessing without us being obedient to God's purpose? Uh, there, there's some of us who are uh, worried about our marital status, but is your marriage uh, biblically based on the solid rock of Jesus? Are we doing the things that God commands us to do in our marriage? I wonder if we were to be doing the things of God if our worry and anxiety would decrease. Some of you are worried about your kids growing up and having a faith, but yet you don't prioritize God's kingdom when you make your schedule. Second thing is, is God says, today's gonna have trouble. Just don't add tomorrow's trouble to it. Don't double down. Today is going to have a problem. Tomorrow, it's going to have problems too. Just don't take tomorrow's problems and put them on top of today's problems. Now, I want to show you this verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Some of you, you guys went to Hobby Lobby. You've got this on a cool canvas somewhere in your house. If you don't, I'm sure there's going to be a sale soon. You should pick one up. It's a great verse. Let's Look at this. It says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want to show you a couple things inside of this scripture that I hope uh, will bless you. One, uh, he says, humble yourself. 
A humble yourself means you recognize that he's God and you're not. It's when you go, I don't have this, but you do. I'm not good, but you are. You're acknowledging that he's in control and he's good. You're not God, you don't have this. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He mentions God's control, his power, that he may lift you up in due time. He's a good God. If you humble yourself, acknowledge his power, he will lift you up. Then, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Again, this is God's goodness. Now, there's something that happens in the original language that kind of got missed in the translation, and there's nothing wrong, but uh, you can miss some of the beauty of what uh, God is saying here. This word cast is a verb. It's not a command. It's a verb. It's an action. In other words, casting. Continually casting. And this is not really the end of a sentence in the Greek. It's actually one big sentence. This is what it actually says in in the Greek. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, casting. How do we humble ourselves? We are by casting all of our anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's when you start doing this, you start casting your worry, casting your anxiety on him. You start humbling yourself by going, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have this, but you do, but you do, but you do. You're good, you're in control. I'm not, I can't fix it. I'm not God, you're God. I'm casting my cares on you. And part of the problem with anxiety and worry is that it happens at the neurological level. Pathways become formed. And over time, our brain automatically creates these paths and then uses them over and over and over again until they become well-worn highways in our mind. But, and some of these paths that they make are good and some of them are bad. My dog, for instance, uh, he didn't mind going to the vet until we got him fixed. And a pathway was formed in his brain. Now when we're getting ready to go to the vet, he's like, hey, 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 hey. There's nothing more back here for him to take. I'm like, that's what you think, son. Sit means sit, okay? I'm like, don't mess around. Now, some of you, you, you have this neurological pathway that was formed. And over time, you just get so used to the old pathway that you don't wanna do the work to create a new one because it's so much easier to drive on an old road than it is to build a new one. That's why he says, keep casting so we create a better, a new path. I met with Jessica Elifritz this week and I said, "Uh, Jessica, what are three things that I could just give to our church for those who could use a little bit of hope? People who are dealing with worry and anxiety, what are just three principles that we could just put out that would help them? Here's the first thing she said. She said, start a gratitude journal, that it is hard to be uh, anxious and worried and grateful at the same time. When you start going, God, I'm so thankful for, and the way you have, and I'm glad you, and you are, and I, when you start thanking him for all the things that he's done in your life, it reminds you of how good he is and how in control that he is. Second thing she said, invite a person and avoid traveling alone. Guys, the solution to your anxiety and worry is not isolation. It's raising your hand and saying, hey, I'm wrestling with this. You are gonna have to go through some tough things, but you do not have to go through tough things alone. 
this upcoming Saturday, I do the hardest thing that I do every single year. There's a, a row raiser that takes place here in Quincy, and you get a team of people together, and you row uh, a marathon. And last year, my team won, and this year, we will defend our title, and we will win again. I know we'll win. And the reason I know we'll win is not because of me. I am the worst person on our team. I'm horrible compared to them. They are horses, okay? You know why I know I'm going to win? Is because I'm surrounded with the right kind of people. And some of you, you need to surround yourself with the right kind of people that will help you win in your battle with worry and anxiety. The other one is create an action plan. Decide in advance which neurological pathway you're going to take. When I feel anxious, I will. When I feel worry, I will. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to get the sun on my face. I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to ask someone to pray for me. Decide in advance. When I feel worried, when I feel anxious, I will. Three tools for those of you who want to help. You care about people. When I'm talking about this, you have somebody on your mind. What are three things you can do to help? First one, validate it. Christians can get really bad at this where they say, hey, this is what I'm wrestling with, and then we go, oh, yeah, I used to wrestle with that, and then I did this, this, and this, and now I'm all better. And then that person's like, oh, so Jesus loves you more than me. Cool, I didn't know that. But that makes me a little bit more worried because now I want to know why he likes you more than me. Don't, just, shh. Here's what you do. I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. It must be tough. They don't need your answers, they need your presence. Second thing, this is a tough one for Christians. Try not to enable it. Oh, Christians love to be fullbacks. Oh, if you're struggling with this, then I'm gonna just wipe everything out in front of you. Nope, no, 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 no. Because listen to me, they are gonna have to go get jobs. They are gonna have to sit in interviews. They're gonna have to walk into rooms with uh, lots of people around them. They're gonna have to talk on the phone. They are gonna have to go through life. They're gonna have to be a mom, be a dad, be a brother, be a sister, be an employee, be a boss. And you can't go before them and full back all the problems away. In fact, when you start doing that with your good Christian heart, you can actually make them more worried and anxious. Let me explain. Uh, it's kind of a shame that God only gives your kids two sets of teeth because I kind of like pulling them. I wish he made them like sharks because every so often you just want to yank something out of their head, right? And when my kids were wrestling with, uh, you know, getting their teeth yanked out, here's what I would do. I would be me, and then when it came time to pull out the tooth, I would do this. Hey, bud, it's going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. It's not going to hurt that long. You're super tough. And I pull the pliers out. Yeah, just smile real big. You'll be fine. And they're like, Dad, why are you talking to us like this? You know what I was doing? I was making them more worried and anxious. Like, why are you, why are you walking real slow and talking real soft all the time? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, if I'd have just walked up, hey man, look up at you. This, can you see that thing up in the? <laughs> gone, right? Try not to enable it. Don't say, I'm going to solve the problems with you. I'm just going to walk with you. Third thing, use scripture. Share verses with them frequently. Memorize scripture with them. And you're going to be going, but Clayton, I don't know scripture all that well. Cool thing that God made a while back. He made Google. And so you can listen to whatever it is that they're wrestling with and then just type that in and then go, Bible verse. Whatever they're wrestling with, Bible verse. 
and it'll give you one. It may not be the best one, but you can use it. And they'll be going, how do you know all these scriptures? Well, the Lord provides, you know. <laughs> it's just, just me and the Lord. <laughs> Actually, I got 25 verses for you. Let's start at the top. Top of what? Top of my mind. Okay. All right? That's what you could do. Now, hear me. I, I've been on really good behavior through this sermon series, but there's something I, I, I wanted to say, but I didn't want to sound trite. Uh, so I'm going to tell you, but you're going to hear this with generous ears, please. I cannot tell you the power that eight hours of sleep a night and 15 minutes of sun on your face in the first 15 minutes of the day will do for you. If you could bottle that, eight hours of sleep and 15 minutes of sun on your face, no sunglasses, in the first 15 minutes of the day, the government would make that drug illegal. What crack heroin and meth are to you to the destruction of your body, those two things are absolutely genius for your body, life-changing for your body. And so I'm going through this sermon series and I'm going, okay, what are some disciplines I could just put in my life to be healthy? like even more healthy that would just kind of make me, you know, help me out if things like this ever arise. And so I saw that, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make a plan. And so I want time with my wife, so like, boys, you're going to bed at eight o'clock. They hate it, they'll get over it. And because I want from eight o'clock till 10.30 at night to be able to hang out with Jennifer, then I go to bed at 10.30, which is a new thing for me because I'm a night owl. Most of my sermons get written between like 10.30 and midnight. And so I'm like, I gotta make a change so I can wake up at 6.30 in the morning. And my boys have had enough sleep that they can wake up at 6.30 in the morning. And so since the beginning of the school year, in the morning, me and the boys are going for a mile to a mile and a half walk in the morning, getting the sun on our face after eight hours of sleep. We're walking the dog that I don't like. And while we're doing it, we are memorizing scripture. And after like the second walk, they started going, so we're going to have to get some really warm clothes when we do this during the winter. I'm like, yeah, your mom will love to go make this memory with you all winter long, okay? <laughs> now, here, here's, why, here's, here's why I'm telling you this. I don't know uh, what battles my boys are going to face one time at some point in their life. But I want them to be equipped to fight them. And I'd much rather them establish the discipline in advance than have to start the discipline in crisis. And so... Uh, what I've been noticing is the verses unintentionally that we've been memorizing since the beginning of the school year are actually the very verses you would use if you were spiritually wrestling with worry and anxiety. And if you guys would be on your best behavior, I'd like to welcome Zane and Maddox, my boys, up to the stage. Okay, now boys, I want you to talk really slow and really clearly and I want you to walk them through the verses that we've been doing so far this year. So Maddox, can you tell everybody Romans 8.1? There is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is exactly right. And Zane, what does that verse, now we're going to do it real clearly, what does that verse even mean? That you could do something wrong and Satan could go to God and say, see what this person did, you see what this person did. But then God could say, see what Jesus did. That's exactly right. That's exactly what that verse means. Now, Zane, what is Psalm 56.3? When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. That's exactly right. Maddox, this is the long one. 1 John 4.18. Really clear. There is 
is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears has not been perfected by love. Good job, my man. Zane, Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Come on, boys. So proud of you. Those verses, you can see what it's doing in their hearts. It's helping them refocus on God's goodness and God's control. That when you're anxious, they have scriptures there ready on hand for them to be able to step into those moments. And just like you are encouraged, imagine what that's doing in their own heart. Final thing I want to do. Uh, when, when you start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are placed in him. And worry and anxiety can for, uh, get you to forget all you have in Christ. I was talking to Tyler McKenzie. He spoke here last year, and then the year before that, he preached at our men's conference. I was talking to him this week about this message, and he goes, I have to share with you what I uh, wrote recently. And he sent it to me, and I was like, oh, that is exactly what our church needs to hear. Because Satan can try to get us to ignore our spiritual advantage that you and I have in Christ. And so I just want to take a couple minutes and remind you of everything you have going for you in Christ. In Christ, we have freedom, innocence, grace upon grace, redemption, and the righteousness of God are ours in Christ. We have a heavenly father, a selfless son, a Holy Spirit, and billions of brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There's a new birth, new life, new creation, new clothes, new mind, new heart, new nature, new covenant, new spirit that rose Christ from the dead, then placed you in a new family and sealed you with a new destiny. And all of that is yours in Christ. In Christ, you've been chosen, saved, accepted, and adopted in Christ. You've been consecrated, liberated, initiated, supplied, anointed, purified, sanctified, and justified in Christ. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. They are yours in Christ. You have wisdom, knowledge, vision, imagination, creativity, focus, and purpose in Christ. The mission of God, the meaning of life, and the mystery of the gospel are yours. In Christ, you've been made alive, made new, made steadfast, made one, and made grateful in Christ. The veil has been lifted and torn. The distance has been narrowed. The ransom has been paid. Trespasses have been canceled. The chains have been broken in Christ. You've been given power, victory, triumph, strength, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Immeasurable riches are yours in Christ. You've been given a promise that one day you'll be consummated, vindicated, resurrected, rewarded, crowned, and perfected in Christ. You have a new identity and a new story. You have eternal value and worth. You have the image of God. You have the cross-shaped love of Jesus, a realistic assessment of the evil. But even better than that, you have a way out in Christ. You have a transfusion of life, an epic mission, epic purpose, epic ending. Life with life-giving, hair-raising, breathtaking, love-proclaiming meaning in Christ in Christ. You are more than enough. You have more than enough. When you battle with worry and anxiety, I need you to know that they are outmatched because all that you have going for you in Christ. And I hope you won't forget it. We're moving to a time, a decision. There are some of you listening to me right now, whether in this room or watching online, who have never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And I just want to be upfront and clear with you. Uh, there is no decision that is greater and more impactful than that decision. Everything that I just said in Christ is yours. Because the Bible says when you begin an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when you want Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, when you're ready to turn over your life to him, he comes in and takes up residence in your life and he makes you in him. That when you're obedient in the area of baptism, when you demonstrate what Jesus Christ demonstrated when he was baptized, or when you show what happened to him when he was buried and then raised to new life, when that happens in your life, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in you, and he seals you, and he makes you in Christ. And that can be yours today. You can talk to me, or you can talk to one of the people who will be standing over by the baptistry about what it means to start that relationship. Maybe you don't want to talk to us. Maybe you want to talk to a difference maker in the lobby or with a friend and family member who brought you here, but you don't have to put it off. Second thing I'll tell you, there are some of you in here today that you are wrestling with worry and anxiety and it is real and it is problematic and it is impacting you and the people you love in a profound way. If you need to go and get serious help, I wanna encourage you to do that. Don't put that off. Satan convinces you that you're the only one, that nobody else wrestles with this. I want you to know you're surrounded by people who are going, yeah, I'm in that boat too. But I wanna encourage you to always make sure you check the spiritual bucket first. And maybe just a way to humble ourselves is to come up here and get down on our knees and just pray and cry out to God. And go, God, this is what I'm wrestling with and this is what I'm struggling with. Maybe you wanna just pray a prayer of gratitude and talk about all the good things that God has done and all the things that he has in control. And what you might notice is when you start talking about all the great things about God, you'll realize just how big he is. And maybe when you have a bigger God, your problems might not seem so big. Maybe the bigger you see your God, the smaller you'll see your problems, your worries, your anxieties. You could walk out of here today carrying them by yourself, but I would encourage you to practice during this time of invitation, casting your cares on him, believing that he is good and that he cares for you and that he will lift you up. I know some of you are going, I'm a little worried about walking in front of all these people up to the steps and get down your knees. Uh, you know what that is called? Humbling yourself. Caring less about what people think about you and caring more about what people think about God. There's some of you in here that you're going, man, this really isn't a series for me, but when I was preaching, there were people on your mind. People you care about. I want us, and I think you do too, to be a church that cares that gets in the battle with people, that prays on their behalf, that lifts them up. And maybe what you wanna pray today is pray for specific people that you know are wrestling, or maybe pray that God will use you to be a blessing to people who are hurting, that God would open up doors for you to point people to his truth. I want us to be a church like that. I think you want us to be a church like that, but we'll never become a church like that unless every single one of us goes on that journey. So would you journey with me? Would you stand? God, use this moment right now to do a work that only you can do. God, touch every life, change every heart. God, you know what every person in this room is navigating and what they're dealing with. And so God, I pray that during this 
time when we get down on our knees and pray or lift our voices and sing, that we would have a genuine encounter with you. And God, that you'd make it incredibly clear exactly what we're supposed to do. And that you'd give us the courage and the strength and the support to do it. In your name I pray, amen.